Today's, this morning's reading is from Hebrews chapter 11. It can be found on page 1219. It's Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm starting from verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. Good morning. I thought I would uh, walk in this morning, since we're talking about the theme of pilgrimage. Catch you out a little bit by appearing from behind. We're going to take a walk through the theme of pilgrimage this morning because uh, a couple of weeks ago, some of you know, Paul Wilcox and I uh, travelled to northern Spain and we walked a section of the Camino de Santiago de Compostela, to give it its full name. I'll shorten that at various points this morning to Camino or Way, which is what Camino means. That's the whole route. Uh, this is the bit that Paul and I did. <laughs> so we could have walked much further. Uh, but that was 118 kilometers. So uh, we didn't do too badly, did we? I'm just going to relieve myself of some of my kit so that I can speak to you. And I thought we could share some lessons this morning, some pilgrimage pointers, uh, I've called them. And just to say, Paul Wilcox uh, is with us in spirit this morning. <laughs> uh, thought about coming, he's on sabbatical as you know, but he's praying for us uh, and uh, longed to be with us this morning too. So the first uh, question is, are we pilgrims or tourists? That was one of the things that arises as you walk one of these uh, famous routes. Um, although this was something which Paul and I did together, 
the experience has been a reminder that actually we're all pilgrims. This quote from uh, John O'Donohoe, uh, at its heart, the journey of each life is a pilgrimage through unforeseen sacred places that enlarge and enrich the soul. That's what uh, even your journey today can be, a journey through unforeseen sacred places that enlarge and enrich the soul, not just when you walk into a sacred building like this, but when you walk out of it into the rest of what this day and this week will bring. And this image of being a, a pilgrim is a very biblical one too. You could go through the whole uh, set of biblical references, but just uh, to go back to our reading this morning, where the writer to the Hebrews spoke of the heroes of faith, like Abraham and others, as pilgrims. We heard, they all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And so there's a sense of understanding our journey through life as a pilgrimage, uh, and uh, this world isn't our natural home. We're on our way to our real home, uh, and each step of the way takes us closer there. There's a guy called John Briley, not the uh, former organist of this place, but a guy who's written one of the key guides to walking the Camino, uh, who writes this, all of us travel two paths simultaneously, the outer path along which we haul our body and the inner pathway of the soul. It's worth just reflecting the, each moment of your walk through life, that both those, the outer and the inner, are happening at the same time. Many times as we followed through the very practical turn left here and watch out for that hill and look out for that bar, um, some very helpful, inspirational comments uh, from John Briley along the way. So as Paul and I walked the Camino, we were not simply walking with each other. Uh, we were on pilgrimage in the sense of journeying with God towards our earthly destination in Santiago de Compostela, whilst being reminded of all sorts of stuff that was useful to our inner journey too. A lot of people say the pilgrimage starts when you get back home. Briley, John Briley distinguishes between pilgrims and tourists in this way. He says, the tourist sees sights, the pilgrim gains insight. It's a really helpful way of understanding the difference. When people say to me, so what made it a pilgrimage then, rather than just a walk? That's one of the things we were trying to work on as we walked, but you don't have to just do that if you're lucky enough to go to northern Spain for a week or six weeks or eight weeks if you're doing the whole thing. You can do that uh, in your daily lives too, not just seeing the sights but gaining insights. And that's our first pilgrimage pointer. What best describes your spiritual journey, even here this morning? Are you in it for the momentary sights and sounds, or are you learning something deep within about yourself, your fellow pilgrims, and the God who accompanies us on our journey. 
Eugene Peterson also talks about this. I love the title of his book on discipleship, which is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. You only have to sit with that title to start being challenged, don't you? Discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. And in that book, he writes this. One aspect of the world which is harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. Our attention spans have been conditioned by 30-second commercials. He wrote this quite a long time ago. We might say our attention spans have been conditioned by three-second memes. Religion has been captured by the tourist mindset, like a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. Does that describe uh, our church attendance pattern? He goes on to say, we'll try anything until something else comes along. And writes this too, the people I lead in worship want shortcuts, they want instant eternity, they have adopted the lifestyle of a tourist. In contrast, our biblical designation as pilgrims tells us that we're people who spend our lives going someplace, going to God, and whose path for getting there is the way, Jesus Christ. In Spanish, Jesus is El Camino, the way. It's the same as the name of the path we walked. It's the same as the name of the path we walk day by day. So how's it going? Are we tourists or pilgrims? Do we need to offload something of our tourist uh, identity Are we about surface or depth? Are we about hurry or time? Are we about crowds or stillness? Short term or long haul? Entertainment or transformation? We could spend quite a lot of time just with that set of contrasts. And maybe this is a good point to mention your stones. Uh, I meant to say this right at the beginning. Um, Did everyone get a stone? If you didn't get a stone, can you put your hand up? And can someone helpful uh, just hand out a few stones? That would be great. The thing behind the stone, um, yeah, take a big handful over to that right-hand side, please. Thanks. There's someone on the way. They'll come round. A lot of pilgrims who walk the Camino take a stone with them. I could only find fairly small stones to bring with me uh, today. I wanted maybe more pebble-sized ones, but there you go. That's all Wicks had. Um, A lot of people carry a stone with them all the way. Sometimes they carry it knowing at the very beginning what that stone is going to represent to them as as something they carry with them in their lives. 
Some people don't know at the point when they pick up their stone and put it in their pocket or their backpack what that stone is going to mean. Uh, and the meaning kind of arises for them as they walk the Camino. So my invitation to you is to hang on to your stone. Some of them are a little bit damp and sandy. I don't think they're particularly dirty, but they, they were sold as beach pebbles. So they might have a bit of beach on them. And you might just want to be pondering as I talk, what, what bits are connecting with you? What bits could your stone in your hand represent? Uh, and we'll come back to the whole concept of stones and what we carry and what we do with the stuff we carry right at the end of the talk. But that's just to kind of build that for you. It's just, I'm going to read that set of contrasts again. Tourists or pilgrims, surface or depth, hurry or time, crowds or stillness, short-term or long-haul, entertainment or transformation. And there's a little church actually in a village that we, um, we didn't go to, but I heard about it and read about it from a, a pilgrim we met along the way called Jim. There's a little village, uh, any Spanish speakers, please forgive my pronunciation. The village apparently of about eight houses and a church uh, is called Zab Zabaldica. Uh, and the church of St. Stephen there had a little leaflet that they hand out to all their pilgrims, which had some great little uh, reflections in them. And I'll read a few of them as we go through. This one on the sense of pilgrimage goes like this. The journey makes you a pilgrim. The way to Santiago is not merely a track to be walked in order to get somewhere. El Camino is both, both parable and reality because it is done both along the journey itself and along your entire life. If you only allow the Camino to get into you, the way, the Christ, to transform you and to make you a pilgrim. Okay, second pointer. For Trinity Sunday, I've got a five-point sermon. <laughs> Work out your own theology on that. They're not all, very, they're not all long. <laughs> uh, pilgrimage, second pointer. Do you, do you walk alone or together? Paul and I chose to walk the Camino together. Uh, sometimes we talked. Sometimes, and some of you will find this hard to believe, Sometimes we disciplined ourselves to not talk. Because uh, we could have talked for six days. Uh, if you know Paul or, I, Paul or I and Paul and I together. So sometimes we would say, hey, it's half nine now. We've talked for an hour. Uh, let's walk roughly alongside each other, but not talk until coffee uh, in an hour and a half's time, and we'll either just be conscious of walking with God, uh, or uh, you know, if you know Paul, you'll know that he would often have a little question for us to be pondering as we walked for that hour and a half that we could reflect back on over coffee. So we kind of walked together, but we also walked alone by discipline sometimes. But we also knew that we were not alone, even at those points. I guess we were both surprisingly aware of those that had walked the path before. 
This pilgrimage way has been a pilgrimage way for 1,300 years. People have been walking these very same paths since they discovered the bones of St. James at uh, Compostela. Santiago just means St. James, by the way. So we were thankful for, of, of those and aware of those that had walked before. We were also thankful for you guys who were with us because you prayed for us, you supported us, you read Paul's blog, you saw the pictures on Facebook. Hazel's reminded me this morning that she prayed for my feet. Uh, and she said to me, sorry about this, Hazel, I didn't get your permission. Um, is it okay? Too late now. She said, that's not very spiritual, is it, to pray for your feet? I said, that was a great prayer to pray. I needed prayer for my feet. Uh, and, and we felt very often as we walked along that we were kind of carried along by a following wind of those that were praying for us and supporting us along the way. You know, for these two Pauls, to walk such a walk would have been unthinkable just a few years ago. Neither of us were up to it through health or through fitness, but there we were, walking 118 kilometers in six days. And at the end of each day, we shared our grateful surprise that we'd made it to our next stop. And we were still in one piece. And so we were also deeply aware of walking with God each step of the way. But of course, most visible were the many other pilgrims making the same journey. Our paths would sometimes cross with people that we'd seen three days ago and then bumped into again. On occasions, we'd be walking almost in a crowd like that picture on the right. Most of these pictures are mine. Um, and uh, on occasions, we would only be able to see each other as far as you could see backwards or forwards. That varied, uh, strangely enough, uh, along the way. But always, pilgrims would greet each other with the friendly greeting, Buen Camino. Uh, that's what everyone said. I can't tell you how many times I said Buen Camino uh, in that particular week. And it always felt different from the classic English nod. <laughs> you know, when you're walking and you, you kind of nod at someone, or you might say, morning, or nice weather, <laughs> or bad weather. <laughs> it came from a deeper place. The Buen Camino celebrated our mutual journeying. It was spoken enthusiastically from pelotons of cyclists who came zipping by and you leapt out of the way as they shouted, Buen Camino, and disappeared off into the distance. Then you caught up with them at the next hill. It was spoken by people of many different ages and nationalities and colors and creeds. And it didn't seem to matter whether you'd walked that whole eight, 800 kilometers or whether you were just walking for that day, or whether you were doing the week that Paul and I did. Didn't seem to matter whether you were staying in the, in the dormitories and hostels or the slightly nicer hotels that Paul and I stayed in. 
everyone received their Buen Camino. So on this way, as I reflected on this, I, I realized that we were all very aware that we were headed in the same direction and we were aiming for the same destination. Do you know, no one on the Camino walks back. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been on a walk. You know, even if you go on a, one of these circular walks in this country, people can do it both ways, can't they? But with this walk, you're headed to Santiago, so everyone is headed in the same direction and to the same destination. And that seemed to make a difference to how it felt to be walking the walk with each other. And I wonder whether that's a pilgrimage pointer we can learn from. Imagine a Camino where people jostled with one another, loaded extra weights into other people's backpacks, tripped pilgrims up if they were going past them along the journey, excluded those who didn't wear the right clothes or travel at the right speed. Imagine people attacking fellow pilgrims along the way or guiding them off into the wrong direction. It's hard to imagine. It didn't happen. It doesn't happen. And yet the story of the church often sounds more like that. How great that we were able to gather over a thousand people at the cathedral last Sunday evening. It's good, wasn't it? It's good, wasn't it? <laughs> How sad that it's taken so many years to get that level of buy-in to such a simple concept as praying and worshipping together. I know because I tried doing stuff like that 20 years ago. It was impossible. So we're making progress along the way. But perhaps in the wider church, and in this church, we'll be able to, and some of these phrases should be familiar to you, we'll be able to love one another, encourage one another, forgive one another, bear with one another a little bit more effectively. If we pay less attention to the outer things and remember that we are fellow pilgrims walking in the same direction towards the same destination. Have a go at the thing Tasha was talking about in Cathedral Square of walking in someone else's shoes. I've got a quick testimony here that I only found uh, last night. Someone uh, writing about her experience on Camino. And she went with her mum and her auntie. And she writes this. Lots of people ask how my relationship with my mother and my aunt changed during this time. Had we ever spent so much time together? No. Part of my motivation for doing this trip was precisely that. When do you ever get to spend a month with your mother hiking across a foreign country? It seemed like now or never. And by the end of the trip, I had newfound tolerance, empathy, and respect for them. At certain points in life, mothers become more human, less demigod. Did you know, mums, you were demigods to your children? And you realize as a child that they have their own set of feelings, worries, and problems. On the way, the Camino, we could stop playing the mother-daughter game and just be two people who appreciate and love each other. 
many small things that used to bother me about her stopped bothering me. I got the chance to understand and appreciate why she is the way she is. It took a month of togetherness to have that revelation. Folks, we're walking together on the same way to the same destination in the same direction direction. And the more we do that together and are aware of that together, the more those things that bother us will just like, oh, that doesn't bother me anymore. We've got a whole weekend of it coming up in a couple of weeks' time, so sign up for that. Here's the um, reflection from St. Stephen's Church on that. The Camino makes you brother and sister. Whatever you have, you must be ready to share. Because even if you started on your own, you will meet companions. The Camino breeds community that greets the other, takes interest in how the walk is going for the other, that talks and shares with the other. Okay, number three. Pilgrimage ups and downs. Here's some stats. So I managed to get a little readout from my Fitbit uh, dashboard there. If you can't read the numbers... Uh, I took in that week 225,000 steps at an average of 32,000 steps a day. For the most part, our pilgrimage went through beautiful countryside on good paths, but that wasn't always the case. There were some quite steep hills. Fitbit tells me that I did the equivalent of climbing up and down 715 flights of stairs. It's about 100 flights of stairs a day. Uh, one section took us down a, a steep and rocky path, uh, made more hazardous by the fact that the adjacent stream had decided to spill over onto the path. So we were basically sort of making our way down this stream uh, where your foot might either land on a rock or on six-inch deep soft mud, and you didn't usually know in, until you put your foot down. So there were tricky bits and there were easy bits. Weather conditions varied too, from rain and mist to cloud and sun, with temperatures ranging from naught uh, degrees sometimes when we woke up in the morning to about 24 degrees by the end of the route. For those who started at St. Jean, which is the traditional French starting point for it, although I'm told you can start in Droitwich, there is an official start point in Droitwich, if anyone fancies that one. Um, but for those who started in St. John and, and, and begin with crossing the Pyrenees, this was even more the case than it was for Paul and I. The Camino, the way, the walk we do, holds its dangers. People fall over, bones break, joints sprain, blisters appear, sun burns. Infections are caught. Our friend Jim ended up in hospital for a couple of days partway through his pilgrimage. We need our plasters, our lotions, and our sticks, and we need one another too. All this reflects the reality of life's pilgrimage too. We shouldn't be surprised when our journey is not easy. Some of us are caught out. We thought it was going to be easy with God. It isn't. There's ups and downs. There's steep bits. There's bits where the stream overflows and the pathway gets slippy. The St. Stephen's 
tract says this. this. These aren't my feet. I decided to spare you my feet, but these are someone else's sore feet off the internet. Don't know who it is. The Camino wouldn't be the same without pain. It helps us realize how difficult the way is. And we finish each day a different person from who we were when we started. I'm a different person, uh, partly because of this short pilgrimage that I did, but I'm definitely a different person because of the difficult parts of my life journey up until now. So we don't wish them on you or ourselves or anyone else, but we trust that God is with us in them. Sometimes it's not the difficulty of the path, but it's very mundaneness which... Uh, is the problem. Again, Paul and I didn't walk this bit, but there's a, there's a section of the Camino which is just like flat and straight, and apparently it goes on for 180 kilometers. It's quite a long walk through flat, straight uh, land with no particular sights along the way. Quite a lot of pilgrims are tempted to jump on a bus or a bike or get a taxi for that stage. And on one level, you can understand why. But I loved it when this friend of ours, Jim, who, who wasn't, who, he described himself as not a Christian or a spiritual person. And he spoke the most profound spiritual truths, much closer to God than he realized. He said, surely that's missing the point. Sometimes that's what the road is like. And you don't skip it, you walk it. And that's what Jim did. Uh, And he got it. I love the fact that he understood that pilgrimage involves learning to avoid the temptation to skip or discount the ordinary days. It's all part of the way. My uh, Fitbit, which had a couple of mentions already, when I put it on in the morning, uh, it always has a little greeting for me, which is different every day. I mean, they, they circulate on the day when we were going to do our longest walk of 24 kilometers, I picked up my Fitbit and put it on, and it just said, right foot, left foot. (laughs) And sometimes it just says, hey, let's get going, and stuff like that. But on that day, it said, right foot, left foot. And Paul and I found that helpful, because we realized that's how we were going to get through our longest day. And that's how you get through your longest days. Whether the problem is it's just a bit boring at the moment, or whether the problem is you're up to your knees or neck in mud, or the storm comes and you get drenched, right foot, left foot. I expanded that to say this. The important step is not the final step, or even the next step, but this step, and then this one, and then this one. And that may be a message for where you are today. We're going to come back to our stones in a moment, but I just want to say a brief word about pilgrimages walking with God in the midst of creation, and they'll just be like about eight slides that we'll go through as I share this brief 
paragraph. We could do a whole section on this, but this is brief. When we stay in the moment like this, when this step is the one that counts, we have time and awareness to notice more what's going on around us. The sense of walking with God is increased. And this comes supremely through celebrating the sights and sounds around us. Paul Wilcox wrote in his blog, let's face it, creation was the first Bible that ever existed. And the voice of the divine speaks loud and clear through it. So sometimes we stop to pray in one of the many ancient Romanesque churches along the way. And that was great. But we also prayed as we walked and we allowed each step to become its own song of praise for the sheer joy of being able to walk and being able to walk slowly through beautiful countryside to see a white lily shining in the sun as bright as the midday sun. The glimpse of a jay retreating into the woods, its multicolored plumage dissolving into monochrome green to stroll through tall eucalyptus forests intoxicated by their sweet aroma, to watch black kites drawing circles in cloudless blue skies, to place my hand on the ancient stone of a font and to feel connected not only with the earth from which it was hewn, but also with countless newborns setting out on their own life's pilgrimage to find each day so full of stimuli, reflections, experiences, conversations, not to mention good food and local wine and a generous welcoming host at every single place we stopped along the way. St. Stephen's Church says this, the Camino calls you to contemplate, to be amazed, to welcome, to internalize, to stop, to be quiet, to listen, to admire, to bless nature, our companions on the journey, our own selves and God. You have to slow down a bit on your pilgrimage to do that, but it's worthwhile. Try it. And so finally, pilgrimage and the baggage we carry. The traditional way of the pilgrim is to travel alone, by foot, carrying everything you need for your whole journey in your backpack. So pilgrims need to learn to leave behind all that is superfluous and travel with only the most basic necessities. Confession time here. Uh, Paul and I had a, a, a system whereby our main bag was taken for us, not by, not by a Sherpa or anything, but by a taxi, uh, from hotel to hotel. We stayed in seven different hotels in the week. Um, so we didn't have to carry our main stuff, but we had to decide each night and actually, it almost made it more crucial because each night you had your, your main bag that was going to disappear at 8 o'clock in the morning and be found, you hoped, and always was, at your next hotel. 
and you had your backpack that you'd carry with you and you had to look at the weather forecast, you had to work out what you would need for that day and that's what you would carry with you. It was a different way of calculating what to carry along the way and even with our main packs we had to fit within Ryanair's strict weight and size restrictions which some of you will be familiar with. Our fellow pilgrim Jim gets a few mentions he walked the whole 800 kilometers, and he knew it's significant that, whereas I, I couldn't tell you how heavy my bag was, I just put in what I needed. He knew exactly how heavy his bag was, and he also knew the weight of every single item that he put in his bag. That's quite something, isn't it? And after his first few days, he reassessed what he needed in his bag and he packed up a precious two kilograms worth of stuff in a parcel and posted it off back home again because he didn't need to carry any excess weight at all for his 800 kilometers. The obvious link for us is what excess baggage are we carrying? What do we need to post off somewhere else? What do we need to let go of? We all carry a rucksack. And as soon as we start packing, we realize there's too much paraphernalia in our lives. I wonder what you're carrying. What's the essential stuff you need for today? What do you need to let go of? Because you might have, you know, hundreds of kilometers, miles. We hope you do ahead of you. You're going to feel the weight every step of the way. There's some stuff that you don't want in your backpack. And there's some stuff you really need that needs to have first place in your backpack. So your excess baggage might be material stuff. Again, this could be a whole section, but I'll just say we live in an acquisitive, competitive, materialistic age and society. And we get caught up in that. How much do we carry unnecessarily, even if it's only the stuff we would love to have, as well as the stuff that we have, that we do not really need? Checking our backpack might be a call to live more simply so that others may simply live. Or we may be carrying wounds, hurts, bitterness, grudges that are both unhelpful and unnecessary. They slow down our journey. They put a strain on our body. They use up valuable energy. And they hinder our relationships with fellow pilgrims. And often we don't even notice these loads. It took my period of ill health some time back to help me realize some of the stuff I was carrying, and some professional help to get me to empty the rucksack of some stuff I didn't need to carry anymore. Paul Wilcox again in his blog said, as people of faith, we believe that one of the great promises of God is that he is our burden bearer. He says, I've been intentionally following the way of Jesus for over 30 years now, but I'm still learning how to do this. Some burdens are left behind by repentance as we recognize old habits taking us off course from our pilgrimage. 
Hebrews calls it uh, the sin that so easily entangles. Can't walk when you're all tangled up in sin. Some are wounds that need healing prayer, and we may need help with the deeper hurts. Paul and I had to review our baggage check every day. It wasn't a beginning of the week thing, it was a daily thing. And so do we, as a daily practice. If you were to do a baggage check today, what would it be that you'd like to leave behind? That's the thought to hold on to as we come to our final uh, part of the journey. Monte de Gozo, the hill of joy, is the hill known for being... We're standing on the hill there, uh, and it's, known, it's called the hill of joy because in the very distance, that's the first sight you get of Santiago de Compostela. They say you can see the three spires of the cathedral. I can't claim that we did, but you could definitely tell there was a town down there. And it's the last hill you climb before the long about hour and a half further walk down the hill right into Santiago and up to the cathedral itself. That's why it's the hill of joy, folks. There's no more hills to come. It's also the place where people not only cry out in rapture at seeing the end of their path, but where they lay down their stones or other objects. There's another place near the border with France where that's done, but this is the, the, near the end place where this is done, with the end in sight. They lay down stones or other objects they carried. I'd been given the gift of a little wooden cross to take with me, and I laid that down, as Paul did, at this place. It's also a symbol of the things that people don't want to take home. So as we finish, and we need to finish, sorry about that, Rich, um, I want you to see what your stone represents to you. The final quote is that the Camino makes you simpler because the lighter the backpack, the less strain on your back and the more you will experience how little you need in order to be alive and how much you need to leave behind. So we're going to play a video now which is of the, uh, the massive incense burner which is the finale of the pilgrim's mass in the cathedral of Santiago uh, de Compostela. And as uh, this conclusion to that act of worship that Paul and I went to on the Sunday a couple of weeks ago uh, plays. Would you like to, if, if you want to, and if it means, if you need to hang on to your stone a bit longer to work out what it is, that's fine. But if you want to leave something behind, whether, whatever it represents, um, whilst this is playing, can you come and just place it on? This is our Mount Gozo. You have to climb up the last two steps it's about 370 meters, and place your stone uh, around the cross there as this video plays. Thank you.